We want to make sure that people understand how to relate to others, how they, you know, we want to know how they solve different problems when they're presented with challenges, when they create mistakes themselves. Do they take ownership for those mistakes? Do they pass the buck to somebody else? Sort of how do they deal with the, the issues that come up in your everyday problem solving a technology standpoint? The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey, welcome back, Googleization Nation, and welcome to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Uh, this is our 25th show of the year. Amazing. We're almost halfway through and appreciate all you listeners. We want to thank uh, Ingomu for being a sponsor as well as Success Performance Solutions. Ingomu's new app has been out for a few weeks. Uh, check it out. If you're looking for some personal coaching, they also just released a new podcast. And I highly recommend that you go up and uh, take a look. And of course, we'll be talking about uh, Success Performance Solutions and uh, Geek Skeezers and Googleization a little bit more as we go on. Uh, recruiting in the age of Googleization, talking about Googleization, which has been my book, wrote it in 2017, talk about how the world of recruitment was going to change, how fast the world was moving. And then we had 2020. And all of a sudden, a lot of things we talked about, which were going to happen in 2025, 2030, happened last year. And for those who are thinking that that was a blip, some of the research is showing that, and especially following some of the work of some futurists, the the, the pace at which we're changing over the next 20 years is going to increase about four times, which put that in perspective, that everything that we experienced in, in 2020, an over 12-month period, you know, starting with the pandemic and then social unrest, you know, including, you know, the aftermath of uh, George Floyd's murder. And then we had the wildfires out West, climate change, most hurricanes we've ever had. And we had a tumultuous election that led up and a number of other events. So we had all those things going on, not affecting everybody equally, but they were all going on simultaneously. Certainly a disruptive year. And now we're feeling the pain afterwards. But one of the things that I want you to consider going back to the pace of change is that by if if it's true, this paradigm this paradigm of accelerating change, by 2020 at the rate of four times faster, that means what we experience in 2020 in 12 months will happen in four in three months, in one quarter of the year. And if for those of us who will be around 40 years from now, that pace continues. What happened in a, over a 12-month period in 2020 will occur every 11 days, which is terrifying and frightening, but also allows us to fix some of the, the things that are wrong with our world. And, and hopefully we'll learn from that and we become more adaptable. And, uh, you know, we've, I've been talking about adaptability for, well, for 
for many, many years, but especially over the last year and a half. So I, I hope I encourage you to uh, stay tuned. Appreciate you being here. we got some great guests. And today's guest fits in perfectly. Uh, we're going to be talking with Rashawn Blumberg. He is the author of, of a new book called Game Changer, How to Find t- 10x Talent in or How to Be 10x in, the, in a Talent Economy. But uh, 10x is fascinating. Uh, and uh, I can't wait to, to kind of dive into this with Rashawn. Before we get there, just wanted to make a couple announcements. On Friday, uh, this Friday, June 25th, we are, again, I will be co-hosting or hosting uh, the uh, Gordon Report. We've got Ed Gordon. Ed's new white paper, Job Shock, is just a few weeks from from being released. I think it'll be, it'll probably be in August sometime. We've been, he's been dripping what was in it. He he continues to update it. And he even under-anticipated, he's been doing this for 50 years, and he even under-anticipated what the labor market today we're going to look at. So hopefully you will tune in on Friday. If you follow me on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Facebook, uh, you'll be able to uh, get there. We'll be live or you'll be able to watch the replay there. We'll be talking about the Gordon Report, Job Shock, what the future economy, labor economy is going to look like and what we can do about it. And so today's show lines with that perfectly well. So I'd like to introduce Rashawn Blumberg. We want to bring him on. Instead of talking about him, let's talk with him. There he is. Hi, Rashawn. How are you? Great. Uh, you know, you heard my intro. And again, talking about 10x, I mean, this goes down, you know, this goes from the top to the bottom. I, I, right right before the show, I was, I had a doctor's appointment. I was going back and they were interviewing, you know, a restaurant owner and, you know, she's closing her store four hours early because they can't find staff. We've talked the last couple of weeks, a few amusement parks were shutting down in the heat of their, you know, they have three months out of the year to make money. And, and they're, at the time because they can't find enough people. And and so, you know, I'm really excited to hear what you're talking about because we need some 10x people at the top to really think differently and handle it differently. And uh, your new book was, I think I botched the title a little, a little bit, but it was Game game Changer, right? How to be 10x in the talent economy. That is correct. Yeah. You got it right. You so it, goes, it. it goes more than individuals. I mean, it's how to be a 10x company this economy and and find those people. So let's start with, you've had an interesting background. You didn't start out in the recruitment business as I did not start out in the recruitment business. Sort of did. You started out in entertainment. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, growing up in New York City in the 70s and early 80s, I just was exposed, myself and my partner, we were exposed to people whose parents were in the business. So the entertainment business. And so where other people just sort of fell in love with music because they loved a song or they wanted to learn more about the musicians or or whatever it was that attracted them to music. For us, it was really about the business that was going on behind the scenes, which I don't think we were that consciously aware of during the 70s and 80s as we were coming up. But you know, just knowing people whose parents were artist managers or entertainment lawyers or concert promoters, it just sort of exposed us to this whole world. And so that was really our entree into representing talent was seeing this world behind the world and wanting to be a part of that, wanting to be sort of at the focal point of the creation of pop culture. And and that was obviously a segue into talent. <laughs> how, how did you make that transition? I mean, what? why did you 
decide to kind of move away from, or maybe you haven't, but, or expand managing talent to managing or managing entertainment entertainers to uh, managing talent, corporate talent? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't a conscious decision or a planned uh, pivot. <laughs> you know, I think that what happened was a, it was a lot of what is going on now, which is that there was change going on in the industry across multiple verticals in the music in particular, you had the disruption from Napster and shifting to you know downloads and then ultimately to streaming. And I think it was a little bit of an eye-opener for us as we had been working in the industry for, at this point, probably nine years. And so we had a taste of what the old world of the music business was like, and we're getting a taste of what, what, the, what the new music business was going to be like. And that also coincided with a lot of other types of talent coming to the forefront, like, for example celebrity chefs like all of a sudden chefs had agents and managers and it just like there was something that clicked it clicked for us around 2010 that the way we had learned to manage talent and the way we manage different types of talent probably could be ported to other verticals anywhere we felt that there was a large disparity between supply and demand people that were in high demand but there was a low supply of them probably could benefit from having the protection and guidance of agents and managers. And so we, we tested out that theory. We had been working in technology already, hiring people for the clients we were representing in entertainment to build websites, to build apps for the entertainment world. So we already were aware of some of the issues that were there. And we thought perhaps that this model of representing talent that was in sports entertainment could be effective within technology. And sure enough, once we started 10X Management in technically 2012, but we really started in 2011, it became incredibly apparent just how beneficial this was going to be both to the talent that we were representing and also to the companies that they were going to go provide services for. So what does, so we throw out the term 10X and, you know, obviously it's 10 times, but what, it's way beyond that. I mean, it, it, it's, what is 10X? How would you describe 10X to, to someone? And then follow up is why does someone, why do companies need 10x talent? Because we're, we're out there now, it's, you know, basically people who can, you know, fog a mirror, <laughs> you know, sometimes are, are what companies are going after. And if they can get somebody a little bit better than that, but, but 10x is really a differentiator. Yeah, I mean, you know, so the concept of 10x is something that's been around for a long time. It's had different phrases over the years, but it's really the idea of somebody who's got a very high IQ, right? They're super intelligent, which is great, but that alone is not sufficient to really bring the kind of change or transformational change that a real 10Xer can bring to a company. In addition to being super smart, they have a very high EQ. They understand empathy, how to deal with people, how to deal with teams, how to communicate, how to work with others. So it's the ability to convey the IQ through the EQ that really makes for a complete 10Xer. And some of the, the things that we talk about in the book, you know, there aren't that many 10Xers, realistically. They do exist. We've represented a bunch of them. We talk about and interview some of them in the book. But all of us can strive to be more 10X. And that's really the second half of the book is really geared towards what individuals can do to be more 10X-like and the steps that they can take in their life. And one of those things is to be a constant learner. So, you know, that's sort of what makes a 10Xer is high EQ, high IQ. And what companies, why companies need this and why they're so important is the fact that with technology and automation, 
companies now can do so much more with less. We use in the book the analogy of Blockbuster at its peak where it employed 50,000 plus people and Netflix that employs about 5,000 people. And Netflix has revenues and obviously profits that are significantly greater. So you can see when you have 5,000 people, those people better be at the top of their game because you don't have the ability to just throw numbers at a problem. You really have to have a more elegant and efficient way to solve and iterate and create the technology and the solutions of the future. So that's really the first part of the book is about what companies need to do to prepare themselves to find, attract, manage, and retain that kind of transformational um, resource. And, and that's really, to me, that's the heart, the issue that we were facing. And the reason we wrote the book is that we had access, like we represent these people who are just fantastic at what they do. And there were so many blockers at companies from procurement to HR that were preventing these people from solving the problems that these companies desperately needed solved. And that was really the genesis of the book for us. Yeah, there's, uh, I haven't finished reading it. I keep going back and rereading different parts, but there's a book, uh, a new book called The uh, Humanocracy out. Uh, it's been out about a year. If you, I don't know if you've, if you've read it. And, you know, I haven't read it. That sounds great though. Yeah, it, it's all about bureaucracy, the pitfalls of bureaucracy and how we've created this bureaucracy and which has created mediocracy, yeah. you know, and, and how it just gets in the way. So yeah, you, you, you probably in, enjoy that and listening to it off and on amongst some other books, you know, as well. So if we're, if we're talking about 10X, how does a company know if they, I guess, if, you know, I guess every company really could benefit from 10X if sure. they can get out of their own way. Yep. How does someone vet for that? I mean, going through you, obviously you're doing the vetting, but what are you looking for in, in somebody who's 10X? We can talk about IQ and EQ, and then I talk about AQ, which is adaptability quotient, which is yeah. sort of another blending of that. How do you, you know, how, how are you vetting these people? How do you recognize them? So we really have sort of a three and a half step process, which is, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel as it comes to the vetting process. A lot of the people that we represent, so 10X, just to be clear, represents contract talent. So it's not people that are going to come in and do W-2 jobs. So we're really not recruiters. We're really much more of an agency a la a CAA or William Morris in entertainment and sports. What we're looking for first and foremost, is a pedigree, right? We, we're not looking for people that are just coming out of university. And I'm sure there are brilliant 10Xers that are, that are at that phase in their career. We want people who we can look to a pedigree. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they worked at a FANG company, but they have some legitimate experience. They've, you know, been tactical and solved problems. There are things that they can point to from either a portfolio or references that can speak to their capability. You know, so we use a lot of your typical reference checking, but we also do two things. You know, one is we do a personality-based series of interviews, and that is really geared around the EQ part of the IQEQ quotient. We want to make sure that people understand how to relate to others, how they you know, we want to know how they solve different problems when they're presented with challenges, when they create mistakes themselves. Do they take ownership for those mistakes? Do they pass the buck to somebody else? Sort of how do they deal with the, the issues that come up in your everyday 
problem solving or technology standpoint. So we spend a fair amount of time vetting for that. We also do peer-based technical vetting. So we have we have what I would call a boutique agency. It's not huge. We're not a platform, say like an Upwork. We don't have tens of thousands of people. So we have a couple of hundred people that we represent between individuals and shops. And our network clients is really only as strong as the weakest link. So we have peers that we already represent whose talent we already feel comfortable with vet the new talent that we're going to take on. And it isn't sort of a generic code test. It's much more about, again, taking the example of our, our EQ interviews, it's much more about how do you approach a certain type of problem? If you're faced with this specific technical hurdle, what is your approach to solving that? A lot of times our clients, our existing clients who are vetting will look at a new client's GitHub and code repository and see some of the code that they've written to see, you know, is it sophisticated? Is it elegant? Is it rudimentary? You know, where do they sort of fit into the, the food chain there? And then we do cyber stalking. So I say three and a half, there's reference checks, there's the EQ interview, there's the IQ interview, and then we cyber stalk, which to me is, is not a foolproof, me- foolproof method by any stretch, but it does allow you to get a sense of who that person is out in the digital world. And you can certainly learn a lot from that. So that's really the process that we go through. But, you know, spotting a 10Xer is something that doesn't happen on the front end. That's something that you learn about as you work with somebody. You can believe that you're you're attracting somebody who is 10X level, but until you're actually working with them, you can't truly know. Can, without divulging, obviously, some of this is proprietary, I'm sure. I mean, can you, can you share a result of of what you know, a company experiences or, or how they benefit by hiring someone who's 10X versus somebody who's got you know, 15 years of experience and great references. Right, you know, there, is, there is a difference. Somebody who has 15 years of experience and great references is probably on the path to 10X and, and probably is going to be an excellent hire, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna be transformative. So in the book, we talk about one of the clients that we worked with fairly early on He was working for an education startup and he was working on a specific problem within a specific, you know, tech stack. And he'd been there for maybe three months, four months, enjoying it. It was contract work. So he was working probably 25, 30 hours a week, getting paid, you know, fairly. And he was, you know, super smart guy had probably, I think at the time he was about 35. This is about seven years ago. So he'd been in the world for a while. And he had heard, not through us, not through the project that he was working on, that there was a problem that this startup was having with an algorithm that was unrelated to what he was working on, and that a bunch of people in the company had tried to solve it and hadn't been able to solve it. And he volunteered to you know, take a crack at it, and they were more than happy to have him do it. Again, it was not in the purview of what he was working on and, and what he was hired to work on. And he was able to solve this problem, and literally that solution help them in their next raise to add like an extra zero to the to their valuation because they had solved for this very specific thing that they had up until that point not been able to solve for. So that's a very tangible example of how one person thinking differently, doing things differently with a different mindset and capability set is able to change evaluation for a company. But that's like that's sort of like a very black and white example. But honestly, I think that there are many more micro examples that are almost more important because it isn't so much the transformational change in an algorithm that I think makes the difference in productivity and effectiveness for 10Xers at companies. It's a mindset. 
It's a way that they interact with people. It's the faith that they put in the people around them. It's the faith that they demand and get from the people above them. Because they deliver above the expectations repeatedly, it sets up this, this environment and culture a little bit more freedom, right? One of the things that we see problems in the marketplace with, with working with 10X is a lot of micromanagement. It's like, okay, you've hired this person who is really fantastic at what they do, and then you're micromanaging them every step of the way. There's a great Steve Jobs quote that where he said, we don't hire the best and brightest so we can tell them what to do. We hire the best and brightest so they can tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a common mistake where you end up with a lot of micromanagement. So I think that really what 10Xers allow if the management structure is there and and the culture is there to allow for it, is a greater trust between team and management so that the team has the flexibility and the freedom to experiment and try to solve those problems without being micromanaged. So those are sort of two different examples of how 10Xers can be transformative. Have you seen a a change from 2019 to 2021 in demand in you know, the quality of the people, you know, I can't imagine, I mean, obviously the, we could identify maybe more 10X, but the world is so challenging now. There's probably a few people who thought they were 10X or approaching 10X <laughs> who were, the legs were cut out from under them over the last year. But have, have, what have you, what changes have you seen in both supply and demand over the last year? Well, it's interesting. I think the supply has increased and I don't necessarily think that's a positive thing. I think that is a byproduct and this was trending already. I mean, you said it. I don't know if there's a name for the accelerant that is happening with, you know, automation and technology and and what that's doing for the changes that we're undergoing right now. I'm not sure if there's a term for it, but what we what what I've seen are things that have just accelerated. These are things that were already trending. Like for example, there are many more people that are leaving W two positions to be ten ninety nine. So you know you've got an increase of supply of ten ninety niners, which doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting better ten ninety nines. You're just getting more ten ninety nines. So we've seen an increase there. We're seeing a lot more job churn. I mean, there are articles every day now about people who sort of held on to their job during the, the prime part of the pandemic. And now that we're coming out on the other side, they've sort of reevaluated where they are in their life and what they want. And they're changing jobs, either because they just want to change careers or because their company was remote and they moved somewhere else. And now their company decided they don't want to be fully remote. And so they're saying, come back to work. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to quit and I'll find a different kind of job. So we're seeing a lot of these things that accelerated into the marketplace. And I think that we're also seeing greater adoption for obvious reasons with companies allowing for remote workers. So now instead of fishing off the pier that's local to you, you can really fish off a more, if not global, at least more 50 states pier where maybe the best person for your particular need is in Idaho and you're based in San Francisco. That is something that we were pitching you know, for the last 10 years at 10X is like, let us find you the best person for the job, not the best person that can come into your office. So I, I think that's been a major, major change. And obviously the digital tools that companies have allow for much more efficiency with that type of work. Have, have you seen any, I guess, industries been impacted by this? Obviously you focus on technology, but technology can go from manufacturing mm-hmm. to finance to entertainment. Have, you know, have you seen any, you know, what industries would you say are, are really get it with 10x and which ones are are still struggling 
You know, I think that's a great question. And, and part of the issue that we were having at 10X in general is every company is a technology company at this point. That's sort of the way we view it. Yeah, even healthcare. Um, healthcare, I mean, you name it. You know, restaurants are technology companies. Well, yeah, Dom is Domino's that now considers himself an e-commerce company. And- <laughs> I, I, absolutely, yeah. I mean, if, if if you're pulling that from my TED talk from 2015, like in 2015, half of all their orders were through their e-commerce platform and app. Now it's 75% of their orders. So, you know, I, I think that there are still some verticals that are lagging behind manufacturing. The automotive industry actually had been ramping this up for the last probably six, seven years, Detroit has been expanding significantly into technology and and trying to transform Detroit into a, a technology hub. But I think that most industries that are not on the forefront of, of technological change are slowly getting into it. May, I mentioned manufacturing. You know, in reality, they have been working within technology and automation for a long time. But I think that the a lot of the more modern technologies. So it's not necessarily about how you manufacture a specific product, but it's it's how the need for that manufacturing occurs. Is it just in time? Is it based on inventory or is it, you know, inventory being created in real time? A lot of those things involve much more modern technology. So I think they're coming on board quickly now. FinTech is incredibly hot, but there is one area in particular where I feel like the the economy is is struggling right now and i'm sure you've experienced this in in your life i live in manhattan restaurants cannot find and source physical in-person laborers to mm-hmm. do all kinds of jobs from dishwashing to cooks to mm-hmm. bartenders to servers and so i think that the adoption of technology there is is happening more rapidly um, where you've got the qr codes you know so that that you can order directly through your your phone while sitting at the table. You don't really need a server. You just need somebody to run and and bus. It's it's a whole different ecosystem there. So that's one area that I think is definitely struggling. More in-person manual labor, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. We 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 haven't been eating out on a regular as regular as it was used to. It used to be daily. We've been out quite a bit. And even though over the weekend for Father's Day, we went out and and uh, QR codes on the table and everybody's like, we need a menu because right. some of the family didn't have, doesn't have a smartphone, which, which is, you know, which gets into a whole other conversation. Sure. Yeah. You know, where we are, but that's, you know, it's, it's so true. I mean, we have mentioned this earlier. We, I work with a couple of health, uh, long-term care facilities. And uh, one of my clients was offering a $2,500 bonus for line cook. And within 24 hours, the person that they were interviewing had six months of experience. So he wasn't, this wasn't his career, six months experience, had nine job offers, nine interviews, two offers, turned down a $2,500 signing bonus for a line cook because he was guaranteed a bonus plus $19 an hour to work somewhere else as a line cook. So even if you have a QR code and you can reduce the, the weight on the servers, you, you still got to get the food out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so it, it's going to take some 10x people to rethink <laughs> rethink that. Where we where do you think I was end up with this question? Where we a year from now? I got you back. We're June 20 something, 2022. So that seems crazy that we're saying yeah, that. But yeah, uh, where are we going to be? What are we going to be talking about? I think we're still going to be talking about the friction of the blended workforce, the part remote, part in person. 
uh, and the the difficulty with finding certain types of employees. I don't see this this particular issue resolving in less than three to five years. I do think we're going through a pretty massive change. I mean, this was you know such a seismic shift to have people essentially at home for eighteen months. Plenty of the economy was in person. My wife's a doctor. She, you know, she was in the office. She was delivering babies in the hospital. So part of the economy has has not changed at all and probably won't change all that significantly. But the other part of the economy has completely changed. And I don't think you're going to get a quick resolution to a lot of these problems. Like we're not going to immediately go back into the office, which I think is pretty obvious. But I do think there will be a pretty concerted effort and push to get people back to the office. And that's going to take a while to shake out how that plays out, whether it's two, three days a week, you know, what kind of flexibility there will be there. I think it will take well longer than the pandemic to have that all flesh out. Yeah. And I think for people who thought it was a blip uh, or this will subside, I think every, the good news is almost at least the economists that I follow are all suggesting that maybe later this year, early next year, we'll see a little bit of a slowdown, but then we're on a five-year tear again. You're you know, talking like, about an economic slowdown or, yeah, or yeah, like an and, and a labor market? I mean, kind of, but well, I think, I think we're seeing inflation happening already. So that always tugs at an economy, but I do think that the job churn and the way people are going to be shifting and the numbers of people that will be shifting will be interesting as well. I don't know if that becomes a net positive for the economy. I've seen some articles that have suggested that's going to be a net positive, but it's certainly going to be a very unique thing that we probably have never experienced in the labor market with the numbers of people that will be shifting jobs. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to continue this conversation for for a couple of reasons, Rashawn. One is I'd love to have you back because I'm sure it'll keep changing. The second is I'd like to have a conversation with you about the AQ, you know, take take things up a notch. Yeah. uh, And uh, I'll share some information offline. But in the meantime, how can people get a hold of you? How can they get your book? Yeah. So we have a great book website called GameChangerTheBook.com. All my contact information is there. There's a ton of content there. There's also a fun quiz you can take to see where you fall on the 10X spectrum, where you can take it on behalf of your company and see where they fall on the 10X spectrum. Um, So that's a great place to find out more about the book and also if you want to get in touch with me. Okay. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Thank Um, you. Thanks very much. Um, And yeah, we'll definitely be continuing this conversation. Thanks for sharing 10X. With My us. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Another great guest, so important. And uh, even, you know, again, as, as Rashawn said, 10X is, uh, they're rare. You know, we're, we're having a, just another shortage. There's a shortage of 10X people. But a lot of times they're, they're, they may be sitting right in front of you, but your organizations are just getting away, stumbling over them. So I encourage you to go up and look at the GameChangerTheBook.com. Check out uh, Rashan. You can check him out on LinkedIn as well. Or you can go to 10xmanagement.com and uh, learn a little bit more. We are our second segment today. I'm going to, I'm the guest, going to be talking about three reports that uh, companies should be looking at in, in their recruitment area. Certainly, there is no doubt. I'm sure there's many, many businesses at all. There may be a handful somewhere, but most businesses are struggling to find people. If it's not for all positions, it might be a single, a unique position. And 
businesses, I, I get calls all the time and speaking at the conferences, businesses are really struggling to find people, but without without a way to determine, is it a marketing problem? Is it your messaging? Is it your brand? Is it really a lack of job applicants or are you not reaching them in an effective way or are they applying and it's a, a technology issue? Are you are people abandoning your application? So I'm gonna show you three reports that I highly recommend to start with where these will help you identify what's not working and what you need to fix. And uh, we'll be we'll be coming back after the break with that. In the meantime, I want to thank everybody for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And right now we're going to hear from our two sponsors in Gomu and Success Performance Solutions. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Hiring top talent shouldn't be left up to the roll of the dice. And yet that's exactly what many organizations do. They roll the dice, cross their fingers and pray for a better outcome. Hiring the right employees the first time is much too important and way too costly to leave to a game of chance. Your employees and your customers deserve better. For 25 years, Success Performance Solution has been helping small and medium-sized businesses hire smarter. They offer pre-employment and leadership assessments from typing and data entry to C-suite competence. Whether it's production, sales, healthcare, call centers, or management, Success Performance Solutions can help. Visit their website at www.successperformancesolutions.com to schedule a free demo or call 800-803-4303. Imagine growing great employees and advancing emerging leaders for less than a dollar a day. The Ngomu app will support your employees in a myriad of ways, from career and personal development to health and wellness. No need to schedule and hold trainings. You just have them access over 90 coaches for live virtual group and one-on-one -on -one coaching for whatever topic they need or want to work on. Anytime, anywhere. Learn more at ngomu.com today. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. What we're going to talk about in this segment is, again, everybody's struggling to find people, whether it's a restaurant, manufacturing, distribution, truck drivers, healthcare, and we work with all those, Success Performance Solutions works with all those types of organizations. One of the things that I get asked is, where can we find people? And it comes down to, the, in a grand, in a big picture area, there's two reasons that you're, you're not finding people. One is that you're not reaching the right people. It's either the marketing, the, the way you're using technology, the lack of technology. People don't know that you're looking or they do know you're looking and you have a, a brand that when people go to Glassdoor or Indeed, they look at or Google, they look at your ratings and you got two stars, which is a, which is a marketing problem. It's a branding problem and nobody wants to go to a company. Nobody wants, wants to go to a restaurant. Nobody wants to buy products that only have two or three stars. So one of the things, that's the reason you, you need to fix that. We're not going to be talking about that today, but that's, but you can't then blame HR. You can't have blame your recruiters. You can't blame the staffing. You can't blame the workers for not wanting to work for you. If you have a, if your brand doesn't demand attracting higher people, higher quality people. No, nobody wants to work for a company that only gets two or three stars, unless you're going to pay them a, a bundle of money. 
So, but once you, you know, once you do your job postings and whether it's Indeed, whether it's Glassdoor, whether it's Monster Career Builder, whether you're using social media, once you get your message out there and people see, hopefully see the, that posting, that availability, that job, that opportunity that you're presenting, then what happens after that? Which are the most effective sources? Are you... Uh, one is, do people actually see the ad? What's the most effective sources? Which ones are attracting the biggest quality? If you're attracting the right quality, enough of, of quality people, but you're not getting them to accept your offer, is the process taking too long and basically too long of an application and too long of a process, a hiring process? The top two reasons identified by the job, the talent board, why candidates quit the, the your hiring process. They they are interested in working for you, but they give up along the way. They get frustrated or they are disappointed along that way. So let me start with the first of the three reports. And I'm going to have Roxy put up the slide. It's the first slide there, Roxy. That's the one. So number one, and this is a pet peeve of mine, you've probably heard this many, many times, is tracking incomplete applications. What's an incomplete application? I mean, somebody saw your job post, they saw the social media ad, they went to Indeed, they clicked to apply, and they didn't finish the application. Why? Why didn't they, they not take the time? Well, one of the reasons is maybe it was too many fields, and that's a pet peeve. So anything above 20 20 fields that somebody has to fill out and realizing that that most people are going to fill out on a smartphone. One of the, one of the problems with filling out on a smartphone is it's more difficult. So nobody's going to fill out a hundred field or even a 50 field application on a small device such as that when, when you've designed it to be completed on a PC, but your market may not have, they might not own a desktop version. The only thing, the closest thing to that, they they might have a laptop, they might have a a tablet, but many people, their only connection to the internet, connection to to you, for them applying, happens to be through a, a smartphone or another mobile device. So you need to make sure that not only can it be filled out fairly quickly, no more than about 10 minutes, but that they, you know, that it's mobile ready, that people have the ability to actually complete it on a mobile phone. You can't, it's very, it's difficult or not impossible to fill out a PDF or a long application on a, on a, on a smartphone or a tablet and top talent. We talked about 10 X talent in the, in the earlier segment, good talent has choices. They're just not going to waste their time because the second part of that is, is even if they fill it out, will they even hear from you? So part of it is they might fill it out if you have a reputation for responding quickly, but since most companies don't, and people have been trained that if I fill this application, I'm, I'm a 90% chance. I'm not going to hear from that company maybe ever. That's, that's a problem. So number one is incomplete applications. If you're not using software, you're not using an ATS or an an HRIS system that allows you to track that, then I would look at ways that you can can get that to happen. Uh, But many of the ATS platforms do offer that. I know the ones that we recommend do. And it's a very easy report that if somebody clicks to apply and starts it, even if they they don't even put their first name in it, but if they, they started the application and they don't finish it, then you you need to look at that as a problem. Why aren't they doing it? So if we can go to, if we can put that slide up again, 
I just wanted to show you something. If you notice down here, it tracks where they came from on sources. So somebody came, one person came from a company website. Why did they leave? But the majority of them happened in this case of this screenshot that I had prepared was coming from Facebook job boards. There is a reason that people that you're pro, you may be paying for these ads to show up on, on Facebook job boards, but there is a significant portion. And if I showed you the whole list, it was well over 50% of the incomplete applications were coming from, from Facebook. If that, so that would be one area you'd want to fix. Either stop spending the money because there's, there's a problem with the integration or stop, or maybe it's the way it's being displayed, or maybe they're being taken from Facebook to your job application and your job application is not mobile ready, which obviously people that are using Facebook are all on a mobile device. So there's, there's reason. So again, is by tracking incomplete applications, not only do you recognize the opportunity to reach out to those people again, but you can identify some sources where you're having a problem. And if you're investing money in those areas, then you either want to fix it or stop investing money and because it's, it's not helping you. Let's go to the next slide. So what's the next source? In addition to identifying, you know, where where they're coming from on it for incomplete applications, you should identify where they're coming by which source. And when you're using an ATS, there could be 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 sources where they're coming from. Which ones are the best? And by doing so, you're looking at how many applications did you receive, let's say from Indeed or Indeed Sponsored or your company website or Career Builder. And then the, in the system we use, it talks about status and, and somebody should be reviewing these right away. So it, within the first day, every, every one of these should be in the third column reviewed. But obviously there's, if I was a manager and looking at this report, I would say that 36 have no status. They just come in today. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can check on that. But if these came in more than 24 hours ago, why, have not, why has not somebody reviewed them? Or if they did review it, they certainly didn't use the status sections. So, they, so I'd like to see this number as zero. This number, the reviewed number should be hired, which means people who do have, who, who are applying should be acknowledged pretty quickly. And at least the applications reviewed within a 24 to 48 hour period. But you know, how many interviews were set up? And then the other part is if you're not tracking this information, that 12 people were set up for had an interview that was completed. How long did it take to get that? Was that a two, 24 hours, 48 hours, two weeks, four weeks? How long, if you're not tracking sources and you're not tracking status, then you don't know how long it takes you to move from uh, one area to the other how quickly you can move people through the process. That's incredibly important these days. And if you're not moving people quickly process, then are you communicating with them throughout that process to keep them engaged? Without a sources report and without a sources by status report, you don't have the ability to know how, many, how quickly people are being moved along which are the most effective sources because then you when you get to the end when you get further along if you have let's say from indeed you have 90 percent of the people were not selected you may get the most applications from there but it may not be the most best resource for you you may have another source that you're only getting 10 applications from but nine of them or eight of them you hired that would be a much more effective use of resources. For example, on, on that same, on, on I think it's the slide three 
Roxy, if you can put that up. Yeah, here it is. So if we look at similar kind of a different way of looking at the data, uh, looking under employee referrals, there were 116 uh, starts under employee referrals. It, it's one of the best resources that you have, much greater for that same time period than even Indeed and Indeed sponsored. So doing something right there, high level of completion. But what we don't know is there's only six people hired. That's, you know, that's less than about two, three uh, percent of the people that were hired from that. Doesn't look like my client is tracking, is identifying who was hired on this because I know there was many more people hired here. So maybe this number is higher. This as a manager would be worrisome to me to find out that all these people being interviewed and people are completing it. We're investing time, money, and effort in in advertising and promoting jobs and and paying employee referrals. We're not tracking how many people are hired. And without that, you can't track how quickly those jobs are being filled and was the flow quick enough? And then also, what's the best quality? So you can imagine if we actually, if these were up to date and accurate, we we would know whether our investment in Indeed sponsored ads is paying off or should we funnel more money into employee referrals? Maybe we should be using Facebook more often. Without this data, it's almost impossible to improve your recruitment, your talent acquisition without just throwing more money, more people and and more time into that. So the three reports I would highly recommend that you start with is number one, incomplete applications. Two is sources. And then if possible, break it down sources by status where people fall. And then the third area, you know, certainly would be on conversions by workflow for, and again, which also includes not when you look at sources, also includes your employee referral. Slight difference between the second and the third. Don't get hung up on that. But if anybody has any questions, please reach out to me. I do go into that. I'm going to be writing an article about that, so it's not available yet. To talk a little bit about that in my book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. And uh, you can get that, still get that. One is you can go to Best HR Book com and get it for the price of delivery. Book, I'm still giving the book away free. Uh, you can get a free excerpt, you get a free download, and then you get a paper, assigned paper copy of the book. And that is available at besthr. Uh, besthrbook.com because it was selected by uh, two different organizations as one of the best books of all time for HR. Finally, if you want more information, you can go up to uh, the website and you can watch one of my more recent webinars duct tape can't fix your fcdd up candidate experience if you want the link please just reach out to me you can do that on linkedin go up to the website or you can get, find me on any social media twitter facebook and i'm constantly posting up there i want to thank you again really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be here. You have a lot of choices out there, lots of podcasts, lots of live streams, lots of things to do these days. And I do appreciate you being part of Googleization Nation, being a, a loyal listener to Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. If you have the, the opportunity and a chance, please leave a rating and a review up on, on the podcast or on YouTube or Facebook. Every little bit helps to spread the word. Next, and I want to thank uh, Rashawn Blumberg again, being our guest. Check him out at 10x. 10xmanagement.com or gamechangerthebook.com. I want to thank Ingomu and Success Performance Solutions for being a sponsor. And until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. 